0: I guess the, um, among the main main reasons for changing or altering the name of the International AIDS Society USA to International Antiviral Society is hepatitis C, and. Um, and sort of at, and as everyone knows, a very exciting sort of cusp of new developments, but not quite there. So we're very fortunate to have Marion Peters from UCSF, who's the John V. Carbone Professor of Medicine, who's going to discuss hepatitis C co-infection, new drugs, and new strategies. Thank you very much. What I'm going to do is um, talk about are what really what's new, what's going on and what's coming in the future rather than talk about the past. You all know very well that uh, liver disease is really the big killer after, well that doesn't work very well does it, after HIV. And when you compare people who have, HIV and hepatitis C to those who have hepatitis C alone. Those who are co have higher HCV RNA levels. They have faster liver fibrosis progression, though not all patients progress. They have an increased prevalence of cirrhosis, an increased risk of liver decompensation once they have cirrhosis and in a faster fashion. They have increase in development of hepatocellular carcinoma and a higher rate of drug toxicity. This is the Karishi, which is an old study showing that antiretroviral therapy and especially heart markedly improves overall mortality, but you can see on the right that it also improves liver-related mortality. So this is our question, HCV RNA level is useful in prognosis. It's useful for treatment. HCV progresses in all HIV patients. And alcohol is a cofactor for progression of liver disease in co-infected patients. Please vote. Okay, so this is a very intelligent audience. HCV RNA levels are not useful in prognosis, but it is very useful for uh, treatment, and alcohol is a cofactor. So when we compare HCV and HIV, they're both single-stranded RNA viruses, but if you look at HCV on the left, it has a hundred-fold increased mutation rate. The viral load is not prognostic as compared to HIV, and the goal is to decrease inflammation, whereas the goal for HIV is a remission. There's no vaccine for either. Latency does not occur with hepatitis C. It does not integrate into the host genome, and it is curable. So there are some significant differences. The predictors of severe fibrosis, which is F3-4, are older age, alcohol uh, use, a lower CD4, being male. And in this one study by Carbone, 46% of patients who were over 46 years of age had severe fibrosis, whereas only about 15 under 30 years of age had fibrosis. So length of in, uh, infection is really important and it isn't associated with genotype or viral load or transmission route. The goals as you well know are to get a, a cure, a sustained loss of hcvRNA in serum and uh, SVR24 has been the traditional uh, value to study. Recent studies suggest that looking at an svr 12 may be sufficient with the newer direct-acting antivirals. But there are also a lot of other benefits, such as if you normalize the enzymes, improve the histology, decrease inflammation, decrease fibrosis, decrease the risk of cirrhosis, hepatocellular carcinoma, you also improve the patient's quality of life and survival. So here is the second question, HCV treatment in HIV, alpha interferon and ribavirin, a standard of care of hepatitis C in co-infected patients. The majority of patients are candidates for treatment. Genotypes 1 and 4 have a lower SVR when you treat them. Neuropsychiatric complications are common. And triple therapy with presepravir or telaprevir with PEG-RIBAH is standard of care. I think I'm going to ask you to vote, but I'm not sure. No, I'm not. I don't know what happened there. Can we go back one? Anyone voting for number one? Number one is correct. Uh, Anyone voting for number two? Number two is wrong. Anyone voting for number three? <laughs> number three is correct. Anyone voting for number four? Number four is definitely correct. Anyone voting for number five? It's not yet approved, but I'll give you the data. Now we can go to the next one. So the bad news about interferon ribavirin-based therapies is... Patients can't tolerate it. They're not candidates. So it doesn't matter if you look in co-infected patients, mono-infected patients, inner-city clinics, VAs, any hospital base, the answer is always around 30%. And the reasons people aren't, who are eligible, only about a third of patients are eligible, and the reason they're not eligible are for a multitude of reasons. They may be too sick. Their liver disease has progressed too far and you can't use interferon. They may have non-adherence. If you don't take the drug, you've heard that this morning, it doesn't work. They may be using drugs that make them unable to take the whole uh, therapy. They may have psychiatric reasons or HIV reasons. So if you look at what we have now, which isn't what we have now and a little bit more, interferon and ribavirin has improved with pegylating the interferon addition of ribavirin in patients with HCV monoinfected alone up to about 55%. But it comes at a cost. There are multiple side effects, not just neuropsychiatric, hematologic, Anemia from the ribavirin, low white count from the interferon. Interferon induces autoimmune diseases, has limited tolerability, many contraindications. So most patients are untreated, hence the challenge to find shorter, more tolerable regimens. So the long-awaited era of the direct-acting antivirals came with the licensing of two protease inhibitors last year, which led to an SVR of about 70%, only efficacious in genotype 1 patients. And using response-guided therapy, we could shorten the length of time from 48 weeks down to 36 or 24. However, They did come also with side effects, resistance issues, and drug-drug interactions. And I'm going to explain some of this. The combination therapy for naive patients, the SVR or cure is around 70%. For non-responders, it's 30 to 40%. For relapses, the cure is the same as for naive patients. Shorter therapy... You have to use ribavirin. We've tried to get rid of ribavirin now for 15 years. The message is don't try. Find a better regimen and try later. But ribavirin, even though we don't know what it does, it appears to decrease breakthrough, decreases relapse, and therefore enhances SVR. These protease inhibitors, in combination with PEG-RIBA, they cannot be used alone, are more effective for African-American patients and also for serotics, to more difficult-to-treat groups. However, they come with much higher side effects and higher discontinuation rates. And I'm going to go over some of that data. Here is the uh, genomic organization of the virus, and you can see that it has uh, the polyprotein. You can see the envelope region, core protease inhibitors, I can't quite see it because I'm through something or other, helicase, then NS5A, and then the RNA-dependent RNA polymerase. But however, when you look at it in the cell, it isn't this long line. It's actually mixed through the endoplasmic reticulum, providing what's called a replicase complex. So if you inhibit part of the virus, like the protease You can also inhibit two or three to really give you a strong antiviral effect. The types of response are important. A null responder is when you add the drug and the viral load does diddly squat. So less than one log decrease. A partial responder is it doesn't go to negative. A breakthrough is the virus comes back on therapy. And a relapse is the virus comes back after therapy. So in the non-responding or experienced patients, it's best to have a relapse. When you treat with triple therapy, it's as good as naive. It's less good to have a breakthrough and usually is associated with development of resistant virus. Then less good for partial and the ultimate bad guys are the null responders because they don't have an interferon response. So when you all the drugs we have now require interferon. So if you didn't have an interferon response first time, you're less likely to have it second time. Then this is how you do response guided therapy. An RVR is negative undetectable HCV RNA at four weeks. An EVR is at 12 weeks and A extended EVR is undetectable at 4 and 12 weeks. So the viral load goes down and it stays down. Then you look at end of treatment and the sustained virologic response. I put in a slide to show the differences and similarities between the two viruses. Tilaprovir doesn't have a lead-in, but the studies with Bresepravir use a lead-in for four weeks of interferon ribavirin alone, and I'll show you some of the value of that. They're slightly different pegylations. One is um, 40 KD. The other is 12 KD, the pegylated uh, moiety. They both have to be administered with meals, but telaprevir has to be administered with fatty meal, like a cup of ice cream, three times a day, and it's not TID, it's Q8 hours. Duration of therapy varies between the two. For tilaprovir it's 8 to 12 weeks, followed by another 12 weeks of triple of PEG-RIBA if you had an extended EVR. So if you become negative and stay negative, you can shorten therapy. With presepravir, you have the lead-in, And if you stay negative up to 24, you can shorten. So it's either 24 or 44 weeks. The quantitation varies between the two studies, so you have to either put it on the wall in your office or constantly look at the package insert. About half the patients qualify for shortened therapy. About 60 to 70% will get an SVR or a cure, Relapse is quite low, and adverse side effects are quite significant for tilaprovir, rash, anemia, paritis and nausea, and for braceprovir anemia is the major issue. These are the old response rates in co-infected patients, not as good as in mono-infected, with results around the 20 to 30% with just interferon ribavirin. So this is why... The protease inhibitors have been so anxiously awaited. So this is the telaprevir study in co-infected patients. Part A on the top is no antiretrovirals. They got triple therapy for 12 weeks or placebo and peg riba followed by up to 48 weeks of peg riba alone. On the bottom, the, they were the patients on antiretrovirals and they were only allowed The antiretrovirals are shown here, and again, they were placebo-controlled. This is the four-week data showing undetectable HCV RNA, so the rapid virologic response, and you can see an extraordinary high rapid drive-down of HCV RNA compared to PEG-RIBA alone on the right. And this is the 12-week data shown at Croy a couple of weeks ago. And you can see the SVR-12. So it's not six months after treatment. It's only 12 weeks after treatment. And you can see where the patient, the overall number is 74, and it's much different whether you're on antiretroviral or not. And it's significantly better than peg alone. But interestingly, we're sort of used to peg riber in co-infection being about 20 to 30%, and you can see some of these patients had great responses. It's important when you look at the results of these studies to look at the difference between the addition of the protease inhibitor. And this is very similar to what was seen in... I'm hoping to show you this, in the mono-infected studies where it was 74 in the co-infected small study, only 38 patients, and 75 in the mono-infected study, which was a much larger group. So what about Bicepivir? So Bicepivir, I told you, you have a lead-in for four weeks followed by triple therapy, and it was placebo-controlled and followed up. It was controlled two to one, so more patients were on vicepravir than placebo. And here are the data looking at virologic response over time. In orange is triple therapy, and in yellow or yucky green is just peg And you can see that this is on therapy, 4, 8, 12, 24 end of treatment, and then SVR-12 of 60% in triple therapy and 26% in PEG-RIBOR alone. So, again, showing a marked improvement when you're on triple therapy, similar what's shown in purple for what was seen in mono-infected patients. So, if we can... and you've all probably got the dear doctor letter, which was in normal volunteers saying don't use protease inhibitors till they're further studied. Well, the patients weren't randomized by antiretroviral. This just happens to be what antiretroviral they were on. And you can see on the right with triple therapy that there was an excellent response in patients on a number of protease inhibitors. So we really need to study this to find out in patients how important the drug-drug interactions are. This is a comparison of the two arms. The SDR-12, the numbers are slightly different, but I want to draw your attention to the Delta-32, which I'm sure you can't see. The Delta between... peg and triple therapy it was around 30% for both telaprevir and boceprevir the withdrawals either for aes or other events was 40% for telaprevir and 30% for boceprevir so a much higher need to adjust dose or take patients off therapy so what are the issues in hepatitis c one is the genotype difference Two responds best, better than three, much better than one. But just knowing it's genotype 1 isn't enough because gen- 1A has a much poorer response. It's easier to get develop resistance than 1B. The IL-28B uh, genotype is really critical. If you're CC, you have a much better chance of responding than if you you have a T or terrible allele. And whether you've had prior exposure to interferon and direct-acting antivirals may affect whether you respond to a different cocktail. The more severe liver disease, in particular, if you have cirrhosis, you have a much lower chance of responding, even with these DAA studies, and, of course, drug-drug interactions, especially with HIV patients. So this is looking at predictors of response. So if you take people who are poorly responsive, that is after the four-week lead-in for pegylated interferon and ribavirin, if you haven't dropped more than one log, that is someone who doesn't respond to interferon, the next four weeks of triple therapy will predict whether you get anything. So if you look here in the white, these are people who had greater than five, or became undetectable at week eight, those people have a 91% chance of an SVR or cure. However, if after another four weeks nothing happens, stop treatment. You're not going to get a response. And in-between is in-between. And it doesn't matter which of the studies you look at, the best response is if you're HCV RNA negative at week eight, that is four weeks of lead-in, four weeks of triple therapy, and the futility response is if if you haven't declined at all after eight weeks of therapy. What about other drugs coming along the pike? I've told you a lot about the painfulness of interferon and how if we're relying on interferon, two-thirds of patients aren't eligible. Well, here's one study of a protease and a non-nuke that shows the, you can get a great SVR just with two drugs in genotype 1-naive patients. And if you're genotype 1B, you have a much better chance of an SVR than if you're genotype 1A. Here's another study looking at a cyclophilin inhibitor, a host target, showing with the addition of alosporavir you get a three to four log decrease alone, but it's markedly better with the addition of peg So maybe a host target will be important in cocktails in the future. This is a study. Remember I told you, Bacepravir, tilaprovir only work on genotype 1. This is a study presented at CROI showing that there are some protease inhibitors that are pangenotypic, This one compares uh, genotype 1 in the brown and genotype 3 in the green. And you can see, you can't see the other genotypes, but they're all pan-sensitive. Genotype 3 had the least sensitivity, but it still has a dose-response curve. So we're looking in the future, and the future is fairly soon, that we're going to have pan-genotypic direct-acting antivirals. This is a very exciting study of a uh, polymerase inhibitor used alone with ribavirin or in addition with uh, pegylated interferon. And I just draw your attention to the first bar where 10 out of 10 genotype 2-3 patients were cured with just uh, 24 weeks of the polymerase inhibitor plus ribavirin. An addition of interferon was unnecessary. So this company is putting out a wee bit of data every three to six months. So this study is also part of a genotype 1, the harder-to-treat patient, either naive or prior null responders. So they presented the prior null responder data, that is less than one log decrease, with 12 weeks of this therapy with, interfe- with ribavirin, no interferon. And they have only SVR-4, so only data of uh, response four weeks after stopping therapy. All the patients were HCV-RNA undetectable at 12 weeks at end of therapy. But eight of nine of them were relapsed, six by week two, and eight by week four. So this therapy is not enough in null responders. The one responder was the ideal patient, young, female, genotype CC, minimal fibrosis. There were no toxicities. People did very well. And the naive genotype one data will be presented next month. So what do we know for today about Vesepravir, Telapravir, or Telapravir in combination with Peggriva. It's efficacious. It looks like it's at least 30% increased efficacy over Peggrivivirin alone. There are drug-drug interactions. You need higher dose of Telapravir if you're on uh, efavirins. Genotype 1 only. It's poorly tolerated. It's a tough one to take. And there are obviously a lot of issues about adherence because patients have to take it Q8 hours. And there are a number, the list on the package insert is about 50 lines long. Basically, anything you're on it inhibits. (laughs) So where do we stand today? If you look at this slide where in the middle we had pegylated interferon and ribavirin-based therapies with single DAAs, and a year and a year and a half ago people, uh, companies were adding their protease inhibitors to PEG-RIBA, and it looked like the, everyone was going to the right, that we were really looking at a, the backbone being peg riba, adding... Direct acting antiviral, either a protease, and NS5A, or a polymerase. But I think the momentum has all shifted to the left, which is a wonderful thing for our co-infected patients because most of them can't tolerate interferon-based therapies. And interferon-free regimens will still contain ribavirin, at least for the foreseeable future. But there are a number of studies in co-infection being planned or already started with direct-acting antivirals alone using combination of a protease inhibitor, an NS5A inhibitor, and a polymerase inhibitor. I think this is an exciting time. Every company that is putting in for an NDA for their drug will have a study of co-infection in that NDA. This is a big change from 18 months ago. That's it. Thank you.
1: Really exciting times considering where we were. A, a year ago. ago. Yeah, even or a year or ago. even a year ago. ago. Yeah. Um, we have uh, question cards circulating, and there is a microphone. I could ask you some of Mike Sags questions.
0: <laughs> I probably would do really What's badly.
1: Um, so I guess uh, the first question is what, what's your current practice are you treating co-infection patients
0: yourself so we are preferentially putting all our co-infection patients in studies there's a study of telapravir peg-ribir. there's a study of resepravir there are coming studies we hope within the ACTG this year but for sure next year with all oral medications um, some patients are treated off label, and they, you need to be very careful with drug-drug interactions. If they're on a statin, they could probably stop the statin for 12, 24 weeks, and you don't have to worry about that drug-drug interaction, but if they're on antiretrovirals, you have to be very sensitive to their, to the therapy.
1: Uh, interesting question. Um, do you worry about the high bilirubin of adazanavir? Um, I
0: never worry about the high bilirubin of adazanavir. It's not liver disease. It's unconjugated hyperbilirubinemia, with um, L- with decrease in the um, enzyme that conjugates bilirubin. It's not related to the liver. It's important for the patient to know they don't have liver disease.
1: Great. How much do these drugs cost? Let um, so, think about that.
0: The drugs cost an arm and a leg. Um, Pegriva costs around 35000 for a year. The addition of Bicepravir and telaprevir, at either length of combination is another 49000 or 50000
1: What about fiber scans and other non-invasive uh, tests for estimating fibrosis? So we, had a, that.
0: we had a very long conversation about this yesterday in the workshop. I think where we are now, we were going away from knowing the fibrosis. If 90% of patients are cured with a therapy, why bother doing the fibrosis? That's where we are with genotype 2-3. We don't recommend biopsy. But if we're looking at 70% and a lot of issues with tolerability, maybe there are patients who can wait. So I say to my patients, if you for sure want to be on therapy, go right ahead. If you're not sure, we should try and assess your fibrosis. Fibrosure is a fine test unless you're on adizanavir and then it's useless because bilirubin's part of it. Fibroscan is a fine test, but there are only 13 in North America. Liver biopsy is a fine test if you get an adequate piece of tissue. The problem with the non-invasive markers is they're most accurate at either end of the spectrum. They're very inaccurate in the middle.
1: So years ago, there was a lot of battle between interferon 2A and 2B. Any uh, any update on which interferon is the better one if you're having to use that drug?
0: It seems with the addition of a protease inhibitor that either interferon is equally good.
1: What about transmission of HCV? What's the latest on sexual transmission of of hep C?
0: Well, as you all know, there is um, an epidemic of sexual transmission of hep C in MSM, and it's been described in Europe, initially in England, here in the U.S., in multiple different sites. It's probably, but not proven, associated with uh, blood transmission, It's higher in patients who have uh, uh, STDs. It's higher in patients who engage in traumatic sex. So it appears that it may be associated with mucosal leak or even blood leakage, but nobody's actually done the studies. And a couple of studies, uh, NIH-funded studies, are actually trying to look in in pairs to really show what's the mode of transmission. Because in uh, mono-infected patients, sexual transmission is extraordinarily rare.
1: So this is a question for me, um, and it reflected kind of what was going on in my voice And I, when I kicked off the course this morning. I, it, it's a question of how we do disclosures of pharma relationships. And I was actually mentioned, I was supposed to say uh, that you should look in your book because I think we have all the disclosures uh, printed. Um, we we think that's an adequate way, and, and ISUSA has really, over the years, as, we, as we've said many times at this course, has really uh, taken great strides to, um, uh, to maintain a huge firewall between the pharmaceutical um, funders that we get and any of the content or any of the speakers that we have in our program. We don't allow speakers that do any promotional uh, activity with, uh, with the pharma. Uh, to be at all involved with the organization. None of our speakers were involved in any promotional activity, so um, that, that was my fault for not, uh, for not uh, mentioning it this morning. Um, you listed uh, HIV protease inhibitors is contraindicated for both uh, uh, bosaprevir and um This question thought it was only contraindicated with Brosepravir.
0: No, if I said that, I lied. I apologize. I actually showed a slide with um, tilaprovir, a number of the protease inhibitors can be used. With Brosepravir, the dear doctor letter said don't use them. But actually, if you look at the study, there were no uh, HIV protease inhibitors. There were plenty of patients who responded, but it was a very small number of patients so I think it needs to be evaluated. There were three patients in the study who had detectable um, HIV RNA during therapy on adazanavir, two of them. And so, therefore, we need to monitor the patients carefully. There were more patients in the study who had detectable HIV on interferon and ribavirin alone. So it may not have anything to do with the protease inhibitor. And the study within the ACTG will actually be doing very careful uh, PK analyses to try and sort out these questions.
1: Um, Here's a a question that kind of goes to any of the speakers about HIV status and EMRs. Um, And I guess we could extend it to HCV as well. Um, Concerns about privacy of, of Uh, sensitive diagnoses, I I would say. Is this something that you've talked about at at all or, you know, we can raise it to all the speakers as well.
0: We have, in our electronic medical record, their HCV status is known and I haven't ever had a patient concern. I have had patients concerned about how they acquired it and I've had, Over 30 years, maybe three patients asked me not to put in how they acquired it in the record.
1: Well, thank you very much. That was great.